Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for January 8, 2023, our first show of the new year. Welcome to the show, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have you all on. Um, for our first show of the year, we're going to have a brand-new guest, uh, Jules Solaire. And uh, Jules is a longtime resident and political consultant from Florida and uh, doesn't reside currently in the state, but we're going to stick to Florida tonight um, and talk about the Sunshine State since it is such a fascinating state. Here in about 20 minutes, um, until then, we got plenty to talk about. Uh, this is probably – I will start out – this is probably the longest break we've ever taken since we started the Kudzu Vine back in April of 2007. But given the holidays, I think it was a way to recharge our batteries. And hopefully we're going to come back renewed and refreshed with some, you know, really good political analysis. Um, and starting off, since we were off um, for that extended period of time, sadly we did have three um, political passings in our area, or Tim and I's of northwest Georgia, but things that people that really affect it all over the state. Um, and, and I don't know if I can go in order, but I'm just uh, of when they passed away. But um, Representative Paul Smith of Rome, who was the longtime chair of the Transportation Committee, and if you have ever driven on roads in Georgia any length of time, you have probably traveled on pavement that Paul Smith was responsible for. He was also uh, big in agriculture as the extension agent. Um, he was in his 90s when he passed away. Um, the second passing was state representative from Chattooga County. He represented parts of Floyd, and I believe uh, Walker, possibly Dade. Tim, you can add to that in a minute. Tim Perry of Trine. Um, and then finally... Um, family member of longtime speaker Tom Murphy, Judge Harold Murphy, who had his own judicial career that was very famous. I think they would actually get him to uh, decide cases from out of the judicial district, was involved in some important um, civil rights legislation, or not legislation, but civil rights rulings um, during his career as well. He passed away over this um, you know, two-plus-week hiatus we took. Um, so we want to remember all those gentlemen. Uh, Tim, um, you knew, I think, all three of them. Uh, share any of your thoughts. Well, yeah, um, you mentioned Paul Smith. He, he served 18 years um, in the state legislature, and you, you mentioned, of course, uh, his most important contribution uh, – Matter of fact, there's an interchange on the Veterans Highway down there in your county, David, that is named the the, the Paul Smith Interchange. He uh, he did a lot for, for highways uh, in the state. Uh, Tim Perry, now, I, I knew very well because Tim was from uh, my area. Matter of fact, uh, Tim Perry spoke... Um, 27 years ago at the very first meeting of the county party that I organized up here when he was a state representative. He served four terms. He he did a lot of stuff, and uh, two things that he made his mark with in the state legislature was um, um, with the pre, state pre-K program. He got a lot of funding for that, and he helped in the House to lead the floor fight Barzell Miller's Hope Scholarship, um, but he did, he did a lot of stuff over his life. He worked uh, uh, for Buddy Darden 
when Darden was in Congress. He, Tim was a newspaper man. He, he lived out of the country for a while in Australia. He had a family business up here that he worked in. Tim was an attorney, and for a time, he was also the state court solicitor. Um, um, Harold Murphy, um, you know, was the U.S. District Court judge for North Georgia. Jimmy Carter appointed him, uh, and he stayed there for almost 40 years. Um, uh, he was um, he, he was also a state representative. When he was elected in 19, I believe it was 50, he was the youngest man in the state legislature, and uh, he... Um, he was Tom Murphy's cousin, too, if any of you were wondering about that. But uh, we we had three legends, uh, bang, 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 pass like that, and uh, they, they, they all left their mark. Yes, um, Catherine, um, I know you're not from northwest Georgia, but you may have heard or encountered all three of these gentlemen. Any thoughts you want to add? Well, I just want to um, acknowledge the, you know, long and accomplished lives of these three gentlemen and thank them and their families for sharing them with the public and and give and send my condolences to them. But some great leadership that we lost. So. Yes. Well, um, you know, we wanted to start off with that because when people give their lives in service, you want to remember it. People that, that certainly we knew, uh, at least some of the folks on the show, we always do that. Um, but now we're going to turn to other matters um, and the political um, story, and, and I'll try to be um, – there will be time for jokes later, but the political story of the past week was the most – um, long extended Speaker of the House election since before the Civil War. Um, it took, I believe, 15 ballots um, and more promises maybe than the history of the United States Congress for Kevin McCarthy to finally um, reach 200. Um, oh, well, I should say enough votes because I think some presents had to be. Um, voted just to get him to the threshold, which may not have been the 218. Um, what a mess. They had, they had to pull apart representatives uh, from other representatives. Um, Mike Rogers of eastern Alabama had to be pulled away from Matt Gates. It was just a shameful uh, moment in the country's democracy. But it was pretty much, I would say, brought to you by one political party, not the entire body. Um, Catherine, this thing's been going on for days now. We've been texting back and forth about it. Um, give us some of your overall thoughts. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's uh, horrifying to think that these uh, elected officials – uh, spent so much time on this when there's so much work to be done for this for our for their constituents and for the rest of us. It's just horrifying. But we've all known this about them for years. It's kind of refreshing for them to completely show it off in front of everyone. So. But it was it was it's it's just shocking. Yes, um, Tim. They finally got to you know uh, Kevin McCarthy to be elected speaker. Um, of course, there's questions about how that will go and how long that will last. But why was it so important that? Um, Kevin McCarthy was the person. I mean, that that seems to be what a lot of this is about, getting to just no, him. He, he he kept telling people, you know what, it's my turn. And and no strong Republican stepped forward to say, no, it's my turn. No no strong Republican stepped forward to challenge him. 
there were 20 Republicans voting against him for several days and one voting present, 21 uh, total. And they were just, you know, picking a person out and saying, you know, that that's who I'm going to vote for. And, uh, and it just went on like that. No, nobody, no opponent of his ever got over like, you know, 20 votes. That was Donald's uh, from Florida, who's the second-term congressman. But none of the heavyweights stepped forward to oppose him so that McCarthy, in every vote, got at least 201 votes. And he was stuck there for the longest, longest time until he started with the concessions, which we'll get into in a minute. So there's your answer, David. He just didn't have any strong opponent to say, no, I want to be speaker. I've never heard yes, um, argument. We're, go ahead, Kathy. That it's my turn. Well, who decided it was your turn? Like that—that's always. I've heard that. We've heard that argument from uh, elected officials across mm-hmm. the board from time to time, and I'm always like, "Well, what? Who decided it was your turn?" Mm-hmm. Apparently, not everybody believes that because, but. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand that. That. Uh, tell us why you should be not. Not that it's your turn. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead, David. Yeah, because obviously he's lacking some some leadership qualities. There's just so many you know angles about this we can discuss. One thing I will say is I did hear a opponent. I'm sorry, a supporter of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, talk about these, um, you know, twenty some odd folks that just kept voting against him, and and his point was, what other election does what ninety one percent of a group, you know, what they want they don't get, and what nine percent of a group wants they start getting, you know, it really was they were getting bullied around by nine percent wow. of the um, uh, party, which was kind of you know yeah, that but. shows. How strange and dysfunctional I think the Republican Party is. In addition to the, um, you know, the majority being very narrow. Now, yeah, you know, I think one thing that struck me was the fact that this nine percent really had no plan. Um, you know, when Matt Gates, probably the most bizarre thing of the whole fiasco, was when he out of nowhere uh, nominated Donald Trump, and I don't think anybody. And that body knew they were going to get he was going to nominate Donald Trump. I don't think Donald Trump knew he was going to get nominated. And then Donald Trump ended up with one electoral vote. Um, you know, what a total embarrassment! It was just um, so so crazy um, that that happened. But then they kept coming up with plans. And you, Tim, you alluded to Byron Donald, and you noticed something and sent it to us, and I think I'd seen it, but it was so um, interesting about his background with his debit card. Tell us that story. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure how true this is. It's just floating around the social media universe that uh, some woman – had asked him, that had told him she would give him $1,000 if she could borrow his debit card. And so he gave it to her, and he said she ran up $7,000 worth of debt on the debit card, and he never got his $1,000. Oh, God. Which is really a bizarre story um, for a U.S. congressman who is being nominated and voted for by 20 people at one point to be Speaker of the U.S. House, but such is the world that we now live in. (laughs) Yeah. There you um, go. You know, to paraphrase the old statement, and we're going to go under the assumption that this is true because I think it was reported multiple places a sucker's born every day, but that doesn't mean we have to put him in charge of the United States Congress, correct? Mm. Yeah, well, correct. there are wor- worse people there <laughs> than him. 
<laughs> that's all I'll say. That's there. the sad thing. That is that is that may be true, and that's part of the sad thing. Um, but that still, once again, that doesn't mean they have to be in charge. Um, no, you know, you should. You know, really, in a congressional district, we should pick one of the best of us to represent the other roughly three-quarters of a million in that district. Maybe not the best, but one of the best of us. And then when we get all the all those best, we should pick one of the best of us, of those folks to be the, the speaker. Um, and, you know, I don't know that's the process we're going with. Well, guys, I hate to do this, but um, – I've got some numbers stacked up, and I think our guests may have called in um, right now, so I want to just check um, one of the lines. Now, of course, as we know, when we check lines sometimes, we get surprises, but um, I'm just going to take a chance on this and welcome our guest in to the show. Welcome, Ms. Jules Soler. Good good evening. Hello, this is Jules. How are you? Yes, uh, good to have you on. Well, we're, we're glad to have you. Um, I had seen your um, website for your business, seen your profile on Twitter, and, and we're going to get maybe some other time into the rest of the story. But you're from Florida and politically active. Kind of just tell us um, a bit about your background. Well, I'm 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 not from Florida, um, so okay. I really feel for the people that are. From Florida, um, because there's just uh, such a huge family connection there. I am originally from Buffalo, New York, um, and I ended up in Florida for work, and that is where you know I started raising my family, and so that's kind of where we we ended up. Uh, all the grandparents ended up down there, and you know for for a while we we really loved it, um, and it got to the point where. Uh, you know, notably, I would say in the past four years, it just kept getting worse and worse, and we became very nervous about continuing to live in the state of Florida. Hmm. Yes. Um, well, well t- tell me the next thing. Um, you've got a business issue focused um, that is, a, I, I guess, a political consulting firm to us, or maybe even an issue um, advocacy group. Tell us about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, to be honest, I've, I've always been moderately politically involved. I pay attention. Um, probably, you know, I enjoy politics. Um, gosh, I got a kick out of the whole, you know, what, 14, 15 rounds this week. Uh, a kick, you know, in a very, like, sadistic way, of course, um, in that, like, <laughs> wow, this is what we're spending our time doing kind of way. Um, you know, and, you know, I generally pay attention to not only, you know, local, national, even world political news. So it's always been something I paid attention to. What really kind of pushed me over the edge was, um, to be honest, you know, my kids started school and, um, I started noticing, you know, just on the local political atmosphere, just this giant, amount of mis and disinformation with regards to uh, COVID and what it was and, you know, best way to protect ourselves, et cetera. And um, I'll, I'll be honest, at first I just thought that people were kind of misinformed or, or, you know, just kind of gullible or dumb. And then I realized, you know, wow, no, this was really coming in from like an extreme right wing uh, uh, you know, from a like a, a astroturf style misinformation campaign, and um, you know, I I had contacted uh, his name is uh, Maurice Cunningham, and he's wrote written a couple of books about the Coke Network. Um, he's a uh, political science professor at excuse me, he's retired now, but he was at UMass Lowell. Um, because he was the first person to connect that group, Moms for Liberty, to uh, Parents Defending Education, which was connected then to Coke Network. And so he made that first connection. And that's when I really kind of started digging in and realizing that, holy mackerel, like this isn't just, sure, the people that are out there fighting, they are sadly misinformed and they're pawns, et cetera. 
but this was coming from a much kind of uglier place, this, this pushback. So um, when I realized that there was a need for kind of parent groups getting out there, uh, you know, getting in front um, or just, you know, groups in general, I noticed they fall apart quickly too. So I sort of took a back end, you know, for my business. And I said, well, you know what? I know all, I, I work in software. I know operations. I know how to funnel prospective people from top to bottom, like, you know, from first taking notice to finally taking action. I knew how to do all of that already. So I decided to make a business model out of that where anybody who wants to get a parent group or a environmental safety group, whatever your issue is, but to get it so that it's like, you know, functioning and quickly. So that's what I made my business out of. And it really did come from that fight um, that I kept seeing in the, uh, you know, especially in the education atmosphere in Florida, because that was the first true um, ugliness I had seen in Florida since moving there back in 2016. Yes. Well, well, let me kind of ask, because, you know, 2016, um, Hillary Clinton didn't win Florida, but she came close. And at that point, um, a lot of the rest of the country by 2018 moved um, more to the left. And Florida yeah. the state where Bill Nelson didn't win. Andrew Gilliam was, right. a, you know, Paul thought he could win. He didn't win. Um, and, and Ron DeSantis yeah, did. Yeah, you know, and they, they and Florida's counting state the votes, very, too. Yeah, well, well, Florida's a state that's very urban. It has four cities that are what you might call major league cities, meaning they, they have, you know, pro sports franchises. That gives you the idea that there's a lot of people that live there. But yet Florida continues to buck the trend of, um, you know, being getting more conservative, even though they're getting more urban. Um, and their geography. What's going on in Florida politically? Um, so, you know, I really do hearken that back to, of course, in 2018, uh, Ron DeSantis became governor. Um, again, they, they stopped the vote count, just very similar to what they did um, back when Bush beat Gore. You know, this has been, this has been a Florida problem for a while. Um, and, you know, what, whatever it is, um, uh, the, I'll be honest, I was not impressed with the Democratic Party of Florida in that they have very little fight in them. Um, so they never, you know, challenged anything, nothing like that. But, um, you know, COVID hit. And, you know, Ron DeSantis became the, you know, the anti-mandate governor. And so where we have, you know, states full of people who are on lockdown, you know, again, I'm originally from New York, Buffalo, which is a much more blue-collar area than uh, New York City. Um, and certainly, I mean, though it means blue in Buffalo, you get outside and it's, it's red, you know. Parts of, of New York State are extremely red. So, um, so it's uh, – you get these kind of like, you know, you have this lockdown kind of for good reason, going across the United States, and Sanders was open for business. I mean, um, and so a lot of people uh, sold their homes elsewhere and moved to Florida. And, I mean, you know, in spite of having one of the highest per capita death rates from COVID, there was a an extremely large influx. Um, you know, and then you also have in Florida uh, the – rise of the ultra-Christian uh, Latino community, and they're definitely, um, I want to say, they're, you know, they're pawns in the game of, you know, of, of believing that anything that is done by anyone who's not a Republican is communism, Marxism, what have you. You know, they've been scared. Um, so you've got kind of your ultra-conservative Latino population and then you have, um, which not all, you know, of course, there are some incredible leaders in and across the state of Florida um, that are trying to kind of peel back the layers and say that's, you know, that's not that's not communism, et cetera. But it's it's a hard battle to fight when you're dealing with, you know, Cuban refugees, et cetera, or uh, Nicaraguan, Venezuelan, anywhere where communist did, communism did kind of 
ruin the economy um, and cause that migration of people, it's really hard to kind of set them back off that fear of communism. So you've got a mix of, you know, your Latino community who's been kind of, uh, I don't want to like play it down, you know, but in a sense duped into believing um, a, a fair amount of lies. He, you know, the home sales in Florida between 2018 and, or excuse me, when COVID started in 2020, the home sales went through the roof um, to the point where, you know, that is one of the reasons I left. You know, I'm a renter. I have been for a while. Um, I could no longer afford to live in my community. Um, and we're talking 30 50, 70% increases on rent per month. And, you know, there's no, there's no sort of like protection for the average tenant who's already living in a place where you can only go up like 10% or something. There's no protection. So, uh, yeah, so it, a lot of red people moved in. And um, that was when... At some point, I want to say in 2021, 2022, I think it might have been 21, um, when Republicans overtook Democrats in the voter rolls. Um, they were doing a lot of purging of voter rolls. Um, they've been doing a lot of redistricting, um, uh, in, in spite of the fact that the state was at the time left, not this particular um, state house, but the, the prior state house when the state house prior was seated, um, the state was relatively 50, 50 Democrats, Republicans, and yet somehow ended up with a, I want to say 65% Republican majority, like a super majority on the state house. And, you know, that's, it's not representative of the people of Florida. And yet they had drawn the line. So that, that is kind of what they did. And that's when they started doing some of the, the, passing some of the ugliest bills I've ever seen in my lifetime um, between stop woke, don't say gay. Um, they're, they're, they're so plentiful that, you know, even just um, passing the tax burden off to the average citizen instead of, you know, and then giving corporations like these multi-million dollar tax breaks. It was, you know, there was a lot going on in that Florida legislature that could not have been done had they not drawn the lines where they were. And it continues to attract the yes. same type of people. So it is red now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned so many other issues that are so intriguing. I'm going to pass it to Catherine and then Tim for some more questions about Florida and, and what's going on there with this transition. Catherine? Hey, Jules. Thanks for being on the show Hi. tonight. Yeah. I appreciate it. I apologize. I have this winter crud. It's not COVID, but... Oh, so I'm lucky a little you, horse, I know but... a lot with it. So thank you guys for yeah. having me, by the way. Um, I, I want to focus a little on the legislature that you, are, that you mentioned. What kind of crazy things do you think the Florida legislature will come up with this time around? Are we well, looking number at, one, like, I know oh, we're looking at we're looking at an abortion ban, like a six-week abortion yeah, ban, and but, we're also looking at um, – they can call it constitutional carry all they want, but let's talk about what it actually is, which is unlicensed, untrained people out there with guns whenever they want. So, um, so yeah, um, there will be, you know, in spite of Parkland and um, Pulse both being two of the deadliest shootings within the past decade, um, they are going to make it so that you no longer need a permit or a license to carry uh, concealed weapon in the state of Florida. And I think that'll be one of the first things they pass, that and then the heartbeat bill. So those are and there's no the stopping them, right? There is no stopping them. Absolutely not. Um, nope. Um, again, you know, when the last, when the last um, electorate was seated, it was 50-50, and yet still somehow they ended up with like 65% Republican control, like a supermajority. So they have um, played the game, drawn the lines. They've got some um, absolutely uh, just scam artists in charge of the Florida Republican Party. And the Dems don't stand a chance because they, you know, what I noticed with the Dems there is that 
it's almost like it's for like it's like the heaven's waiting room for democrats like they're just like so like so old and like so not willing to fight yep. um or even to take a page out of like younger you know younger people's books you know there are many really awesome people in the Florida state house there from some of those major cities that David had mentioned um but there's just no support for it. You know, you get into an area like Sarasota, which is definitely a more red-leaning area, but it wasn't, like, so red-leaning. It was, like, 52-48, you know? Like, it was a tolerably red area um, in that there was a nice balance, you know? But you get into that area, and the Dems don't want to touch anything. Um, you know, we have the just kind of switching out of the Florida legislature, but into the U.S. House, Greg Stubbe was our representative there, and that's the guy who, days after Uvalde, went on to the Zoom conference and pulled out his guns in front oh, of, yeah. like, remember him? Yeah, I mean, he is a lunatic. And, like, we didn't put anyone against him. I mean, we did, but okay, nobody so- knew their name, nobody, nothing, nothing. Like, they, they, just, they just, like, decided that that was unwinnable, and, you know, despite the fact that you know, people are saying we want someone exciting to vote for. You know? Right. And so, so yeah. Let me, so let, 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 I'd like to flip this because we're a, a lot of us in um, southern states, especially, are facing the same situation. I mean, it's not as bad in Georgia, but we're we're facing very similar circumstances with um, our legislature, and certainly in Mississippi and Alabama, they're having similar, um, you know, facing similar uh, circumstances. Florida's probably a little worse, but so how do we, how do we, how do we focus? I think since, since the, um, the Dobbs decision, we've, we've, we've had to reckon with the idea that these decisions are made at the state level and we need to energize our state energize our voter base to pay more attention to what's happening at the state level. We've always been so focused on senators and congressmen and um, presidents that we've, two things have happened. We've allowed our state legislatures to get uh, out of control and we haven't built the bench, which is what sort of what you were referring to as heaven's waiting room. Um, yeah. So how do we fix that? Like, is is that what your organization or your company is sort yeah, of focused well, on? Yeah. You know, I mean, and and how what, do we do that? What so is the, I mean, it really um, is. It is all in the messaging, of course, right? Um, what worked? Okay, so you know, I was I was shocking. I was pleasantly surprised by the results of the midterms. In that, I thought it was going to be a bloodbath, and it wasn't, okay? It was, you know, we kept control of the Senate. He, you know, only moderately lost control of the House. That means two years of getting absolutely nothing done, however. Um, You know, so, but I was pleasantly surprised because there were were races that I thought, um, I just kind of was like, man, you know, the Dems aren't the Dems just don't seem to reach them in messaging. So if you look at like, you know, what Republicans do in messaging is they everything's an issue with them. You know what I mean? So like Um Are you there? Kinda out of nowhere, uh, Jules has dropped off the call. Um I hope she'll call right back in. I'm on the board uh for the call back in. Um and you want to know Kim, um, and I'll send her a message right now to call right back. Um, and as well, and Tim, you'll ask questions. We were kind of talking in the interim. Let's kind of go back to our discussion about the Speaker of the House. And um, a big question, and Tim, I'm going to jump in with you on this one. Um, how long do you think Kevin McCarthy, given all the concessions he made, can serve? Oh boy, that's a that's a good question. I don't have a good answer for you because one of the concessions he made, one of the key concessions, 
is now uh, one member on the can call for a motion to vacate. That means they can stand up and say, I make a motion that we kick the speaker out, and they'll have a vote. And that's going to happen, too. It was five. There's a lot of difference in one in five people doing that. So that 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 is a huge – all these concessions he made to be speaker, and uh, that that's all he got that's out of it. That's a big one because – yeah. There's a lot of whiny there's a lot yeah. of whiny voices that are gonna like have having that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um well I think we have Jules back on the line, so let's pause right there. And and Catherine, you may have another question, so I'm gonna start back with you with Jules. Jules, welcome back on the show. So sorry guys. This is part of uh living in the wilderness in Maine. <laughs> you, just, you can't rely on phone service, so I switched over to my Google Voice so that it's through the um Wi Fi then. Okay, so we were solving the world's problems. Well, you know, okay, so as as you know, like so the thing that you'll see on like the I don't even, like, dare call them really conservatives anymore. Whatever's going on, right? The thing you'll see over there is you see a lot of really small focus groups, but they all kind of, like, they're all kind of, like, you know, like bulldogs on their own issue, right? So whether it's um, forced birth or education or 2A or whatever it is, um, they're extreme on that issue. And so what I've noticed is like, there's got, you have to kind of have like little small groups that are focused on those issues. So, you know, we've, you've got to have your women's rights group, right? And then when there's a really, really important issue, like for example, when Dobbs is overturned, you know, those people have to have a way to get the word out so that people show up and stay energized. Um, Same goes with education because we saw a lot of damage done to the Florida schools. That was another reason that I just finally decided to call it quits on Florida was because I'm a mom, you know, and I I just couldn't in good faith, I couldn't, you know, send my child to a public school that – you know, wasn't going to acknowledge some of our loved ones, et cetera. So, you know, you have to have like these smaller like focus groups, but those groups have to be willing to reach out and get in contact with the other groups. So, you know, for us, you know, when I was working, you know, to try to better the education or at least kind of keep tabs on what was going on with public education in Florida, uh, we reached out to groups like the NAACP, um, ASALA, which is the uh, Association for the Study of African American History and Life, um, Life and History, I think. But you know, that, uh, we reached out to the Brady um, campaign, which is for gun safety, um, because all those groups all have a vested interest in public education, um, National Association of Educators, etc. Um, and so, you can have these smaller focus groups, but you really have to have the names of the people that are going to help you. And when there is like kind of a crisis or an emergency, you've got to get them involved um, and showing up and, you know, speaking on behalf of whatever the issue is. So just like they kind of, they, they do what's called micro targeting. They know who their people are. They get them involved. They use scare or fear tactics to get those people motivated. I really don't think that we're far off from having to use the same. I mean, we're coming up on a pretty scary place, um, you know, where our our daughters will not have rights, um, where, you know, they're going to continue to control the vote, um, overturn the vote, et cetera. So, I mean, I really think that there is a level of fear involved that is a healthy amount because it is that scary. So I think I think we have to start, you know, looking at how they've gotten their base motivated, particularly on that local level, because across the country you can look at the school boards, and that's where Steve Bannon told them to go, was the school boards. Um, yeah, well, I've, I've often, you know, and Mike Flynn. 
Yeah, you know, Mike Flynn um, also said that. And that's also hmm. how you build a bench of of future leaders. Yeah, yeah. So. And we had, and you know, where I was living in Florida, we had incredible candidates, actual educators, but we also had a huge involvement from the Proud Boys. And, you know, there is a level of, like, complacency in Florida where I just think, like, man, <laughs> I, you know, I'm disappointed in your parents. <laughs> like, how could you not care? <laughs> you know, how could you, like, how could you not care what's going on in your kids' schools? And they don't. And and, and from, you know, I'm doing this kind of, like, a social media cleanse right now. I've I've taken all the apps off my phone. I still have them, but at least I'm not on them all the time. But um, because I know it does change your, your outlook and whatnot when you're constantly focused on social issues or politics, what have you. And so I'm trying to kind of, you know, do a little January cleanse here and see if I can, <laughs> you know, center myself a little bit here. But, well, it helps to be out of Florida, I'm sure. Oh, it's so helpful. I got to say, it's like a, like the elephant's off my chest. Um, you know, it's just so different here. Like, you know, they just, I, just to give you kind of like a good example, um, <laughs> like I went through a book reading at my local library, and this is a small town too, but they like did uh, what's called like a land acknowledgement. And I'm like, wow, like how respectful, you know, to to really, you know, make mention of the indigenous cultures that we were, you know, basically booted off their own land. Um, but you would never see that in Florida, like never. And it was such a breath of fresh air. So I really think, you know, that for us to, in order, you know, we've got to kind of get in these like smaller communities, just like they're doing. I mean, I, you know, it's not cool to be in Moms for Liberty, and yet they've got the numbers. You know, there's no, there's no true nationwide counter to them. And, you know, there's, there's a lack of funding on our part, whereas if you look at the Moms for Liberty funding, I mean, that's all coming from <sighs> Alliance Defending Freedom, um, like those really super ultra-right conservative think tanks, you know. And if you look at, like, the, you know, anti-CRT, that came from, you know, the Manhattan Institute, which is, again, a super, super far-right um, think tank. But that was their answer to BLM, and so they were kind of told to glom on to that. And it worked. You know, I mean, it worked to get well, um, the Virginia governor elected, and it worked across the board with these school board elections. And it, 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 so Democrats need to build the bench. And I think the only way to do that is to really start with showing people, like, you're losing all of this. Like, you have to be concerned. And, you know, I feel like too many people are, are you know, afraid to talk about it, but we're just going to lose so much more if we don't. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for that answer. And now I'm going to pass this over to Tim. Tim. Good evening, and thank you for being with us tonight. Let, let me just you ask you point. Me. Yeah, let me just ask you point blank, because you were on the ground down there and you were involved down there. You saw firsthand what was going on down there. Is Florida out of reach statewide for Democrats right now? For the next 10 years, at least. <clears throat> yeah. 10 yep. years. And that was, yeah, at least. Um, that was my biggest concern with the governor race this year was, uh-huh. you know, DeSantis, DeSantis is now America's problem. Um, and he has a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean... He, the 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 antics that he has pulled um, are problematic on uh, so many disturbing levels um, mm-hmm. between you know so but yeah Florida's Florida's out of reach um, the only thing that's really going to you know 
turn Florida around is if um, opinion, it has become incredibly unaffordable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not only do they have, there's no protection for renters, which when I got my rent increase, I thought to myself, is this even legal? You know, I was offered uh, 30, 70, 96%. Those were my three options of increases. Is this even legal? And it is. Um, you have a huge insurance crisis going on right now, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the average, the average insurance bill is up to, I think, $4,600 a year. And a lot of people don't even have insurance anymore. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, it's going to take a little bit of that scary S word to get that evened out, you know, um, because what do you do in an economy, a tourism-driven economy when nobody can afford to live there? Mm-hmm. Um, you you have a lot of seniors in Florida. Yeah. And, you know, it's well documented what, People like Senator Scott have said about putting Social Security and Medicare cuts on the table with the budget. And a lot of the congressmen down there have said exactly the same thing. And yet, and yet, seniors in that state vote heavily Republican. Have you any idea what their thinking is there? I honestly, I, I don't, um, because the seniors that I know, and I know many, I knew through my political dealings, so they're not pleased uh-huh. with that. Um, you know, it's really hard for me to imagine why it's, you know, it's like the cockroach voting for raid. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's really, yeah. really hard for me to imagine why. Um, you know, and I have attempted to have conversations with people. And to be honest, um, I, I really think it's like a level of media accountability. Um, Fox News is everywhere. And there's no accountability in media. So... Yeah. You know, you're going to get a fair amount of seniors that that's where mm-hmm. they, you know, source their info um, mm-hmm. or that's just, you know, that's who they've voted for in the past, what, whatever the issue is. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, the Democrats are asleep at the wheel in Florida when it comes to that. You know, yeah. like, don't you understand that Republicans want to, they're calling this an entitlement, you know, despite your payments into the system for your entire life. Uh, you know, like they, the Democrats really need to do a better job of messaging that to seniors in particular. Mm-hmm. And they also need to say, hey, listen, it's okay to change parties when yours has gotten this bad. Because there's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's like this defining line. Like, you know, I, for the most part, I've always voted Democrat, but there have been times when I have, you know, seen a better candidate elsewhere and voted for a third party, not in a major election, but, um, <laughs> you know, but just in general where I'm like, all right, like I like this person better than that person, you know, like just research, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, really the Democrats need to get in there and really get boots on the ground, especially in the senior communities. All and right. well, the, I, yeah, the only way they're going to do that is to scare them. <laughs> all right. Well, I thank you for that, and I'm going to send it back to David now. David? Yes. Well, Jules, we thank you for sh- uh, joining us tonight on the Kudzu Vine. Um, but before you leave us, if you want to share um, your website uh, that you have or any – you said you're doing a little social media cleanse, but if you want to get some new followers for when you – rejoin social media feel free to share share any of your um tags there absolutely so my website is is issuefocused.com that's i-s-s-u-e focused as in past tense or you know in in the tense so 
Um, and then, I, you know, I'm a big, I'm big on Twitter. That is my far preferred medium um, when it comes to uh, learning about what's going on in trends, um, especially in the political world. And on there, I'm uh, at what the Florida with underscores in between. So it's what underscore the underscore FLA. So what the flaw. Um, and yeah, you can find me there. Um, that's again, kind of my preferred social media platform for now. <laughs> we'll see what continues happening there. It's been a, been an interesting couple of months on, on the bird site. So well, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, best of luck with your new endeavors in the state of Maine. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's a breath of fresh air up here, and I'm enjoying the cold, so believe it or not. <laughs> thank you. Thank you guys so much thank for you having so much. me. Have a great night. All right. You too. You too. Yes. That was Jules Solaire, formerly of Florida, now of Maine. An interesting story there uh, as well. Um, well, we were talking about the um, – Speakers race, and, and you know, we could spend a two hour show alone on that. Um, and, and we were talking about, you know, Kevin McCarthy, how he's, you know, extended all these promises that Tim, I believe you were t- telling us some things. Continue your line of thought, and then, of course, Catherine, if you want to go from there, that will be fine. Hmm. Yeah, he's he's gonna he's gonna run into some some real headwinds on some of these things like the agreement to vote on a balanced budget amendment, which of course is not going to clear Congress or even make it to the president's desk. A vote on term limits, that's not going to go anywhere. Um, the, the big thing though is about raising the debt ceiling. You know that has to be done every once in a while. And now uh, he's promised uh, some of these folks that uh, any raising of the debt ceiling is going to be paired with spending cuts, and that's not going to fly. And the problem there is that all spending bills originate in the House. So I I don't know what's going to happen. He also promised these Freedom Caucus people that there's going to – be more of them on key committees. Um, they're, they're talking about capping discretionary spending at last year's levels, which means they basically they cut uh, defense spending and and some other stuff. Um, it, it, you know, there, there's a bunch of other stuff that he promised them, but that's that that's some of the main things. Uh, it, it it's gonna it's gonna be a zoo, uh, and and I ain't even getting into the investigations. If you want to address that, have at it. Yes, Catherine. It's just ridiculous that you know this. Like, it just seems so uh, preposterous that we're wheeling. They're they're making these this wheeling and dealing. To get a speaker elected is, um, I mean, I'm sure it's nothing new, but it does seem a little extreme. And uh, all we can all we can hope is that people remember this two years from now. I guess we just have to keep reminding them. We'll, yeah. we'll have to you see what yes. how like like we said how long how long will he last as. Um, speaker which is a good question and i don't think it's going to be a full two years you know david yeah. i would Get be remiss. i would be yeah i was going to be remiss if, if uh, i didn't mention hakeem jeffries and all this madness that was a great story this week the first the the first african-american to ever uh lead a, a major party in the u.s house so we certainly should mention that that good thing that come out of all this craziness. And believe me, there was plenty of craziness. Yes, and, and while we're on Kim Jeffries, one thing that struck me is, you know, Will Rogers famously said, "I don't, you know, belong to the member of any organized party. I'm a Democrat." 
and you know the, the narrative for Democrats for seemingly decades now is how you know there's a sense of undiscipline, disorganization. They can't get on the same page. Well, in the past, you know, year or two, maybe even a little longer, Democrats have really been getting more and more disciplined. And I don't know that any time in recent history that any political party, but particularly the Democratic Party, has been in this much um, coordination as we saw this past week um, with the House Democrats. Catherine, did that strike you? Oh, yeah, it was very impressive, especially in counterpoint to the Republicans. Like, it was very um, – uh, it was a stark uh, difference between the way the Democrats were behaving and the way the Republicans were. We were sticking on message, sticking on our votes, you know, like supporting each other. So uh, – Good for us. Maybe we can change and, and that. And Tim, my uh, question. Uh, go ahead. Ex- extending on to that, Tim, um, do you think that'll end up t- paying electoral dividends? And I'll kind of give my scenario here. You know, there are some voters that they like this about Democrats and that about Republicans, but they look at the two parties and they see this total disorganization and dysfunction, and they see this other party that looks like they could execute what they actually believe in, do you think that makes to get some of those persuadable voters to support Democrats in you know, well, 50-50 kind of races? I, I think that it already has. We are looking at three straight elections now in 2018, 2020, and 2022 where Republicans just did not do as well as, as – uh, you know, you would have expected them to do. And that is the way that the Republican Party, as it's presently constituted, is going to have to be changed, not from within, but from electoral defeats. Defeats at the ballot box will change you eventually, and it eventually is going to change them. It's going to have to change them if they keep losing because they cannot keep losing like they've been losing. The gulf between the two major parties is the most pronounced that it has been in uh, over 160 years. It's a pretty easy choice right now between what is stable and what is not stable, and it's right there on television for the last few days for the whole world to see. Let me ask y'all something. Does the, does the average person normally watch the proceedings in the U.S. House of Representatives? Well, of course they don't, do they? Yeah, I'll but tell they, you something But they did this week. But they did they this certainly week. Did. Go ahead now, David. I, I think I'll tell you something interesting. Um, during lunch hours and things like that, I would, um, if the vote was coming up or whatever, I would turn on C-SPAN. And, and you know, it being part of a school system, uh, there are many, many um, school systems and probably other entities that, you know, subscribe to a common filtering service. C-SPAN you could get into early in the week. By Friday, they had blocked C-SPAN. Now, I thought it was weird that they blocked it, but I think it showed how much traffic – was going to the C-SPAN website in which they just thought, well, some school system somewhere decided to block it, um, which told me that, you know, people were actually watching governmental proceedings. Now, I think that's probably of educational value, um, you know, but uh, I, I noticed Until that late Friday night. Until late Friday yeah. night when we literally almost saw a fist fight in the middle of the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. Seriously. Yeah, we hadn't seen that since Preston from South Carolina. I forget old Preston's last name that actually, um, you know, put put blows on someone with a weapon, um, you know, in the, I want to say, it may have been the 1830s, but it was definitely in that pre-Civil War period, um, which shows you really how dysfunctional we are. I mean, we are, we talk about how divided we are. Well, we are doing things that we have not done since before the Civil War. That is not a, a good state of affairs. 
to be in. Um, well, guys, um, you know, good show to get back to with 2023. Still didn't, you know, cover a lot of things, including this emerging story down in Brazil. Uh, next week, no telling what we'll, you know, know about to cover. But we're going to have a guest that we're real excited about joining us for, I believe, the third time from NBC News, Wall Street Journal, uh, the American Communities Project, Mr. Dante Cheney, uh, native of Michigan like Catherine. He's going to come back on the show, so we can't wait to talk to Dante next week. But until then, been the Cudsy Vine. Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity? Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.